Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. For worshiping with us. You ready to get in the Word? Good, good, good. I, I had them bring the whiteboard out. We, I, I'm, I'm a whiteboard junkie. Brandon, could you come lock these wheels so they don't roll? Uh, this is not nearly big enough, but it'll have to do. I'm going to uh, take you to Bible class this morning. Can we do that? Yeah. Can we go to Bible class this morning? Yeah. Grab your Bible. Go with me to the book of 1 John chapter number 4. The book of 1 John chapter number 4. I'm actually going to move this out of the way. So you can see better. First John chapter number four, start reading with verse number 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has toward us. God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. Now we just read these verses and we don't really let them sink in. I want you to hear what this man is about to say. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect that we would have boldness in the day of judgment. Selah. <laughs> he said, you can know the love of God so profoundly that in the day of judgment, you're not trembling in fear. You're standing in boldness. Herein is the, think about that, because we preach hell so hot you can smell the smoke. But he said, if you've known the love of God and you belong to God, you don't have fear in the day of judgment. You have boldness in the day of judgment. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as, as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18 and verse 19, really where I want to get to. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Now, we use this verse all the time to say random things about fear that are absolutely devoid of the context of what John's actually talking about. John is talking about having boldness in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. And we use it to talk about like, you know, Halloween, right? Don't be afraid because perfect love casts out fear. What does that even mean in the context of being afraid of something? I don't like snakes. Well, perfect love casts out fear, brother. That has absolutely nothing to do with what John's talking about. Perfect love does not cast out a fear of snakes, Amen. I grew up in Alabama where there's, never mind. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Watch this line because fear has torment. Fear is tormenting. He that is in fear has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Look at verse 18 again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. Fear is tormenting. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. Now, I want you to wrap your mind around this idea before we, before we go too deeply into this. We have saturated our gospel with the elements of shame, guilt, and fear 
in an attempt to get people to live up to the standards of righteousness that we have created for them. We think you should live a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, and in order to get you to do that, we're going to preach messages that are so fear-based that maybe we can scare you into getting into alignment with what we believe is the standard of God. If you've been in church for five minutes, you have heard fear-based preaching. We even create doctrines that are rooted in fear in attempts to get people to line up with holiness. Glory be to God. Amen? Y'all gonna have to help me this morning. I don't, I don't, I'm gonna mess with some of your stuff this morning. Not all of it, just a little bit. We created the rapture doctrine to keep people living right. Because they did not have a deep enough a profound enough revelation of God's love for them so we have to create a profound revelation of how much they should fear him right when I was growing up as a kid I didn't get in the back seat of a car with a girl not because I love God so deeply but because I feared hell so greatly but if the love of God won't keep you the fear of God if the love of God won't save you the fear of God will never keep you you hearing what I'm saying we have created these doctrines. We, we paint hell with this kind of imagery that actually comes more from Dante's Inferno than it does from the Bible. It's a book. Dante's Inferno is a book. You can Google it. It's no problem. We, we have these messages saturated and laced with fear because it is much easier to get a revelation of fear than it is to get a revelation of love. Because when you really preach what the Bible has to say about the gospel, it absolutely becomes almost unbelievable. You mean God was that good to me and extended that much mercy and extended that much grace to me that the totality of my sin and punishment fell on Jesus and now I get to walk Walk away scot-free. Is that what you're telling me? That is precisely what I'm telling you. Thank God for Jesus. So this is what we've done. We create in Christians this mentality that is rooted in fear. Fear-based preaching. Fear-based confrontation. Fear-based Christianity. If Let me ask you this. If you took hell out of the equation, now I believe in eternal judgment, I'm not a heretic. But if you took hell out of the equation, would you still serve God at the level you serve him right now? Because most of us, it is not his love that draws us. It's hell that pushes us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we have this mentality. This is, <laughs> this is your mind. This is your brain. This is your brain on hell. This is your brain on drugs. Y'all remember those? This is your mind. This is your thinking. This is your thought process. All right? This is your filter. You know whenever you talk to people, you're not, oh, glory to God. You're not just talking to them, you're talking to their filter. You know that, right? You ever talk to somebody and they've got the most bizarre... They've got the most bizarre filter in the world. You ever talk to people like that? You're like, you look great today. You're telling me I'm fat? They just got that filter, right? When you talk to people, they have filters. When you preach the love of God, people have filters. 
When you even say things like God is good and he's extended grace to us and he loves you and he's got a plan for your life, people will actually argue with you and say, yeah, boy, but you better preach the gospel truth about hell and demons and burning and fire and worms dying, not fire not being good. It's like, I'm trying to tell the good news of the gospel. Why you got to make it bad all the time? It's because you have a filter that's been ingrained in you from fear-based preaching for decades, right? We have filters. This is your mind. This is, this is how you think. This is your belief system. This is your belief system, okay? Your belief system. Y'all with me? Okay. I've said, I've told you this before. I want you to hear it again. Behind every behavior is a belief system. We spend so much time in church preaching about the behavior, we never address the belief system. A young lady that gives her, her body away to boys that are going to mistreat her and don't care about her, we want to preach against promiscuity and sexual immorality. It is not the promiscuity that's the problem. It is the belief system that's the problem. The sin is the fruit. It is not the root. The sin is the symptom of a deeper disease. Okay? You see somebody that is that has given themselves over to homosexuality, it is not the sin that's the problem. It is the belief system that's the problem. Are you hearing me? You have marriages that are dysfunctional and broken where they don't treat each other with honor and love and respect. That's not the problem. That's the symptom of a deeper disease. Okay? Because behind every behavior is a belief system. Behind every sin is a lie that somebody has chosen to believe. Okay? Watch. So, this is our mind. This is our filter. When we hear messages from people or from church rooted in fear messages of fear All right you with me they go into our belief system and they come out in negative behaviors watch When we hear messages of shame, of guilt, of condemnation, they go into our belief system, they come out as negative behaviors. I watched a show one time. I'm, I probably told you this story. It all runs together after a minute. There's an old show that used to be on TV called Intervention. You ever seen that show? It's gritty. I don't recommend you watch it. But it's about these uh, people struggling with addictions. There was a young lady that came in one time. She's a beautiful young lady. She was 20 years old, beautiful, had, the wor- had her whole life in front of her. She was radically addicted to alcohol. She couldn't go two hours without a drink without her body starting to react physically. Absolutely chronically addicted, just in the grips of it. Certainly a behavior that is unbecoming of her. In the church, we would have the tendency to preach about the alcoholism. God wants to deal with the broken girl behind the alcoholism. 
We want to pound our chest and say, this is wrong and this is right. You are holy. You are not. And God wants to get above all of that and say, you're hurting and you're broken. And I don't want to just change your behavior. I want to heal your spirit and heal your belief system so we can get the better behaviors out of you. Okay. So we preach messages of fear, shame, guilt, condemnation. They go into our beliefs. They manifest as negative behaviors. And then what happens when you operate negatively? You receive more messages of fear. You act out, somebody sees it, then they heap condemnation on top of your brokenness. Right? I'm going to say this as tactfully as I can. The way the church has handled the homosexual, the homosexual community is downright sinful. Sinful. Do you believe, I get asked this all, do you believe homosexuality is wrong? Well, how do you even, po- I believe eating too much cheesecake is wrong. Do you believe homosexuality is a sin that'll send you to hell? Well, I believe gossip is a sin that'll send you to hell. Do I believe it is outside the designed order of God for marriage to be between male and female? Of course I do. But walking around talking about sin, hell, judgment, damnation. When we gossip and we're jealous and we're envious, doesn't help anybody. And so we preach these messages of shame. They go into their belief systems because they can't shake the shame and the condemnation. They act out negatively and they continue in their sin patterns. And when they continue in their sin patterns, you know what we do? We ratchet up the fear and the shame and the condemnation and preach it even harder. I've had family members in in my family that have been addicted to drugs and when they get around the family, all it is is two hours of a tongue lashing saying, you are an addict, you are worthless, you are nothing, you're throwing your life away, you're doing this, you're doing that and guess what it does? It fuels the negative behavior. So now I've got to go use drugs again so I can shake off all of the punishment that I just received. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to help you stand here with me. When you get to this place, this is what I call the give up cycle. You hear messages of fear. Your whole life goes into your belief system. Out pops negative behavior because you can't shake the fear. You can't be good enough to get the fear off of you. So you get, you operate, you function negatively. You operate negatively. The more people pound you, the more you want to do that thing because it's, you're so broken on the inside. And then that just leads to more messages of fear. And then the cycle never stops. Y'all know people like that. I bet there have been seasons in your life where you were just like that. And the only thing that changed you was not a sermon that scared you straight so bad. A thing that got you straight, the thing that straightened you out, which you had an encounter with the love of God when you knew you were at your most filthy and dirty and undeserving. Can I get a witness from somebody? I remember vividly, I was a 14-year-old boy, and I had grew, I'd grown up in Baptist churches my whole life, one particular Baptist church, and all they said was fear, guilt, shame, fear, guilt, shame, always guilty, always guilty, always guilty, you're nothing but a worm, always guilty, you're going to hell, always guilty. I was a 14-year-old boy, and I remember being at a Pentecostal service, I, didn't even, I couldn't even spell Pentecostal, went at a Pentecostal service, and the man of God by the name of Pastor John Kilpatrick, he's preaching on something, I was 14, I wasn't really 
listening. All I knew is I was probably going to hell because I had been told that my entire life. He gives a, an altar call out of 2,000 people of this 14-year-old boy gets up, walks down to the altar. When I go down to the altar, all I'm praying is this. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what I'd done. I was 14. It wasn't like I was an axe murderer. It's like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I hadn't done anything. The internet, I wasn't looking at pornography. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, promiscuous. I had not done anything. I stayed home one Sunday night and faked like I was sick so I could watch the Super Bowl. That was it. I remember I was praying, Lord, please forgive me, because I had this, this, this growing sense of uncleanness and brokenness and dysfunction and shame. And this man walks by and picks me up. I don't know his name. He's just some altar worker. He picks me up, and when he picks me up, he lays his hand on me, and the love of God left heaven and came on me, and I fell out under the power of God. And when I woke up, I thought, wait a second, wait a second. I'm supposed to feel condemnation, and now I feel love. I'm, I was expecting judgment, but now I'm getting mercy and it changed my life that's what the bible means when it says of his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace it's like standing in an ocean with one wave of grace then another wave of grace then another wave. is that what the homosexual feels when they come to our church one wave of grace after another after another is that what the young lady feels going through a divorce when she comes on church? one wave of grace after another after another i'm offending some of you your, your holiness is getting offended this morning I can tell your, your grumpy holiness is getting bothered. Right. He's talking about the love of God. Heretic! False teaching! You with me? So you get people trapped in this, you know what these people do? They give up, man. I'm not going back to church. Why go back to church when all they're going to do is tell me how filthy I am? I already know how filthy I am. Right? You got people in your life that's in this cycle right now. They've given up. They've given up. Tried to please God. Tried to do my best. It is the, it is the apex of arrogance to think that you can please God. He's already pleased because of Jesus. Jesus pleased the Father. That's why the Bible says when you get in Christ, you are a new creation. If Jesus pleased you and I get in Jesus, that means I'm pleasing to you as well. So we have these messages of fear. Right? They go into our belief system. Some of us, they don't come out as negative behaviors. Some of us, they come out as positive behavior. You're praying hard. Fasting all the time. Giving every dime you've got because of fear. Living holy. Beating the chest, looking down your long religious nose at everybody else because of fear. These negative behaviors create more messages that shame. When you hear messages of fear and you act in a positive way, you know what that does? That gives you messages that affirm. Y'all with me? Am I helping anybody? 
So now people start taking notice. You're so powerful. You're so awesome. You're so anointed. You're a prayer warrior. You're a worship machine. You're a Bible-toting, scripture-quoting beast. I want to be like you one day. And what they don't know is that it's rooted in fear. It's not rooted in love for God. It's rooted in fear. And so those messages that people send to you affirm you. No, everybody knows how awesome I am. Those messages that affirm go into your belief system. And you know what it does? It creates more positive behavior. Now I'm really going to pray. Now I'm really going to serve. Now I'm going to do it so everybody will notice. Because I need their affirmation. Because what they don't know is the, the fuel in the engine of my walk with God is actually fear and condemnation. And what they don't know is that really you are tormented inside because fear has torment. The only thing worse than not serving God at all is serving God and being tormented over it. You ever served God but you were tormented? You were tormented because it was rooted in fear. Y'all looking at me funny. So more positive behavior, I'm going to give even more. I'm going to fast even more. I'm going to pray even more. I'm going to serve even more. And then people are going to be like, oh my gosh, you should, you're just amazing. You should be the pastor. You should plan a church. And then there's more messages that affirm you're amazing. You're amazing. It goes into your belief system, more positive behavior. If this is the give up cycle, most, if you're in this room, you're probably not trapped in this one. You're probably trapped in the other one. This is the give up cycle. This is the try hard cycle. That's the try hard cycle. Over and over and over. And it's rooted and it's based in fear. You know what you have to do to be a son of God? You just have to be. You just have to be. It's not something you do. My son is not my son because of what he does. <laughs> because there are some things that he does that I do not approve of. But even when he does what I do not approve of, it does not change the nature of the relationship. So now we have, we have three, we actually have three different players in this story. We have the underachiever. Who never becomes what God wants them to become. Because they're trapped in this cycle. Of brokenness and dysfunction and fear-based, shame-based, condemnation-based lifestyle. So they never give up. Or so they give up. They never, they ne they ne they're trapped in the cycle. Then you have other people. These are the overachievers. Right? You ever fasted and then broke the fast, thought God was going to kill you? I have. I've broken more fast than you all. You ever, you ever try to serve God, but you have that cloud of impending doom over your head because you've been told that God is somebody that you should fear instead of somebody that you should love? And that the gospel is not really good news, it's really bad news. And the bad news is, if you don't obey every word that I say, you're going to hell. Y'all getting weird on me. And so out of that fear, 
we try hard. Some of us, we're not the underachiever. Some of us, we're not the overachiever. Some of us, we're the roller coaster. Right? I'm not going back to that church. They're full of hypocrites. God does work in your life. Lord, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. I lay down everything. You get disappointed. I give up. This is all garbage. I give up. I quit. I hate that church and everything they stand for. God touches you again. Oh, Lord, I'm going to serve. I'm going to fast. I'm going to go to 40-day fast. John the Baptist. I'm going to wear camel's hair while I go on to fast. Glory be to God. And then you get offended again. You're back and forth and back and forth. If you would be honest, for most of us, that right there is the perfect picture of our entire Christian existence. Back and forth and up and down and on fire one man and not on fire another man and on fire one second. I'm serving God like never before and I'm doing good and I'm doing strong and then six weeks later you fall off the bandwagon and you go lose your mind and then you feel bad so you get back on the bandwagon and you start coming to church and then you fall off then you fall back on and it's all because it is rooted in fear and fear has torment. You know what I call most Christians? The no fun police. Because they think you cannot serve God and enjoy life at all. If you don't believe me, follow somebody on Facebook. I don't know why all of these Christians are celebrating a football game when Jesus died on the cross. And you're like, what are you talking about? I've met, I've met Christians like that. You go to a football game, it's a great Saturday in, 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 in the fall and you get a hot dog and a drink and you go sit down and there's 100,000 people and Miss Holy Ghost over here is like, you, what would it be like if all these people were praying right now? Just like, God almighty, stop. Some of y'all are that person. You need to stop. You need to take a breath. Some Christians are so anal retentive, I don't know how they walk down the road. Amen. Can I get an amen from the back at least? Everything's a sin. You smiling? I see you smile. You better, you better repent. going on vacation unbelievable have people tell me we took our kids to disney world you know in all those disney movies there's magic and witchcraft (laughs) i'm going to instill more fear in my kids by telling them cinderella's fairy godmother is demon possessed than i am just letting her hit a bippity boppity boo and moving on So holy can't even function in society. And I'm not against holiness. I'm against fear-based religiosity that pawns itself off as holiness. Amen. So we're the, we're the roller coaster. No, I'm not serving God. Yes, I'm serving God. No, yes, no, yes, no. And we get trapped in this. That's our entire Christian life. I don't want to live the next 40 years tormented. 
I don't want to live the next 40 years with a weight of, if, if serving God is a heavy, oppressive burden to you, then you're not doing it right. Because he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and my commandments are not grievous. That's what he said. That's what John said. His commandments are ingredients. I mean, they're not hard. They're not a heavy load to carry. What are his commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. You'll be fine. Right? Instead of love God, love your neighbor, ban Pokemon, ban Lord of the Rings, don't watch Narnia, don't drink Pepsi, don't drink that Pepsi because it's got aspartame and you're going to get AIDS and die. Don't do this. I could go some places right now and offend everybody in the room, but I'm not. None of this is the gospel. None of it. There is a higher dimension. So when you hear messages of fear and they go into your belief system, you've got, that's why Paul said you have to renew your mind you have to transform your belief system so when messages of fear hit a godly belief system it comes out and it is transformed into messages of love acceptance forgiveness right when you hear about Jesus finished work Everything he accomplished for you. That the Father's not up in heaven seething in anger towards you anymore because of Jesus. It doesn't produce negative behavior and it doesn't produce positive behavior. It produces consistent behavior. This is how you maintain a walk with God for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And then that goes into your belief system. And now you get trapped not in the give up cycle, not in the try hard cycle, but you get trapped in another cycle. The cycle I call the cycle of rest. Where serving God is a joy and you have life and it's life giving and you have peace that passes understanding. And sure, you make mistakes every once in a while. Sure, you get angry driving down I-40 every now and again. But you know that Jesus still loves you and there's a consistency to your walk with God. It eradicates the roller coaster of emotions that you go on and the roller coaster of devotion that you go on. This is called... Operating by the flesh. The other is called walking in the spirit. Now I've preached this for years. And people get angry when you try to preach a good gospel. You cannot... Over-exaggerate the goodness of God enough. As good as you believe him to be, he's better than that. As good as you think he is, as good as he's been to you already, he's even better than that. And I... I get so deeply moved when I see Christians walking under this self-imposed burden that they call serving God that is not serving God at all. 
It is religion imposing its fear and its condemnation and its shame on you and then telling you, you better be happy about it. That is not the gospel. You better tell you why we're not getting the addicted saved? Because we're introducing them to this. You want me to tell you why we're not getting the homosexual set free? Because we're inviting them to this. And even you don't like this. You with me? You want me to tell you why we're not getting the hookers and the strippers and the broken and the bisexual and the transgender saved? Because we're asking them to jump in. But you introduce them to this? That you don't have to give up and you don't have to try hard and you don't have to strive and you don't have to earn it and you don't have to work for it and you don't have to labor for it. You just be. You just be. You hearing what I'm saying? Brandon, come on up. I want a church. So listen, listen to what the apostle said. Listen, this, he's just, they're just coming on stage. Listen. That's why he said, when you get here on the day of judgment, you can have boldness. No fear. No fear. How does fear get cast out? Love. We love him because he first loved us. You want to tell you how to get the world to respond with love toward God? Preach an overwhelming revelation of how much God loves them. Right? Well, I don't believe that, brother. Well, you're wrong. Well, I just don't believe that's what Jesus Jesus was the sinner's best friend. Harlots and tax collectors were more comfortable in his presence than Torah-quoting, law-quoting preachers. We love him because he first loved us. So I say we give up on the fear because fear is tormenting. I grew up so gripped by it. When I was a young man, I grew up so gripped by fear. Our, our, our pastors would always say things like, if you put anything before God, it's an idol. If you spend time, if you spend more time doing anything except seeking God, it's an idol. And I'm like, dear God, I'm 14. So if I watched TV for 30 minutes, I must go pray 31 minutes. That's how I live my life. Because if I don't, if I pray 29 minutes, idol. Then I'm like, well, oh God, I sleep for eight hours. It's going to be a long day, man. I got to pray, pray at least eight hours in one minute. That's 16 hours. I'm telling you, this is what I did at 14. That's 16 hours out of my day. So it's in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out. And finally, in the middle of all of my condemnation and the, the fear that I was gripped with and the heaviness and the shame, love broke through and cast out fear. And I'm never going back and you are never going
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.